This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth. The world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The Transparent Truth. Tr- 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 <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to The Transparent Truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. Intercom Studios in the Miracle Mile. Recording on a Tuesday. Excited about today's show. We're talking quarterbacks. We got a lot of great ones here that are from the West Coast, that have represented the West Coast. One new commitment. We'll talk about that. But before we get to that, we got to bring in our co-host, my partner and friend, Greg Biggins, 247's recruiting analyst. GB, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Keith. How are you doing? You know me, Greg Biggins. I'm not allergic to money, baby. I'm not allergic to making any money, but <laughs> it's good to have you. Um, excited about today's show, GB. It's, I think it's a great chance for the listeners and the and the the fans to get a, a clear insight on how we break things down from the quarterback position. Um and, and I'm looking forward to us sharing that and being very transparent in our breakdowns as we will look at the top three quarterbacks here on the West Coast, Bryce Young, DJ Uwe Alalele, and Jay Butterfield. And we'll openly break down their game here on today's show, so I'm excited about that. We got a sleeper of the week, a quarterback that's got some straight giddy-up. And we'll touch on that in just a little bit, but Greg Biggins. We always like to start off the show with recruiting because it's always in a frenzy. The Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. Hit us with what you got. So obviously the big recruiting news of the week was DJ Will be under the lay committing to Clemson. And we'll get a lot more into DJs. I don't want to dwell too much on it, but I do want to talk a little bit about Clemson, Keith. And even though this is a West Coast show, I don't think people fully get what's going on at Clemson right now, the way they do things. I just, I heard this stat a couple days ago after DJ committed. You know, they haven't had a decommitment since 2016, Keith. And hmm. that right there kind of shows me that Clemson is doing it right and they're doing their homework. And decommitments aren't always about the kid who wants to go to another school. Many times a decommitment is forced by the school itself. You recruit a kid, you take his commitment, you see something better comes along, and you push that kid out, and then he decommitments, but it's actually the school, right? You know what right. I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. So I think what Clemson has done is they've managed to recruit at a super high level, but they're recruiting high-character kids, and they're doing it the right way. And, you know, Terry Bullock was telling me, and I know people think, oh, Clemson's in the South, SEC country, everyone kind of is a little bit shady. He told me at Clemson, they went and had dinner at Dabo Sweeney's house, and he was out there with some of the Bosco kids, including DJ. And anytime they they grabbed anything to eat, a snack, he had to have a little a little credit card that he, he this is at Dabo Sweeney's house. 
wow. where they had to have a, a little credit card that he had to put his card through just to eat at his house to make sure that everything was above reproach, above board. So mm-hmm. Clemson's getting kids. They're doing their homework. They're not going to commit to a kid and then back off later. And the class they're putting together right now, I mean, DJ comes on the heels of DeMarcus Bowman, who's the number two running back of the country, on the heels of Brian Brisset, number one D-tackle, D-end, whatever you want to call him in the country. And they're not even close to done yet. I mean, there's still so many guys they're in on. So just really excited by what Clemson's doing, how they're recruiting, how they're doing it. And uh, obviously, congrats to DJ for making a, a pretty big life-altering decision. Came out of them in Oregon. Mount Sac was always thrown in there as well. DJ has four uncles and his dad all play at, at Mount Sac. Two of them coached at Mount Sac. His uncle Iona is the DI coach at Arizona now, but he was a longtime DC at Mount Sac. So people kind of kept wondering, why does DJ keep trolling? Why is he putting Mount Sac in there? He's not trolling. He just has love for that school. That was the first school he kind of fell in love with. So Oregon Ducks and Clemson chose Clemson. Cool little little, little video, and uh, the Tigers are rolling, Keith. Doing things the right way, Greg. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, do everything right is something that I try to live by. And Dabo Sweeney has done a great job of, number one, um, being honest. Number two, being forthright. Number three, treating his players, his coaches with respect. And, and number four, recruiting at a high level because of those traits. So uh, congratulations to Clemson and Coach Sweeney's program. Congratulations to DJ and um, I got I have a lot of respect for what they're doing down there. And all you can do right now is kind of tip your cap and um, watch them as they roll. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of funny just seeing the West Coast reaction to DJ committee. A lot of disgruntled, and again, we'll get more into this. A lot of disgruntled USC fans. Oh, we weren't even we weren't even DJ's top five. You know, fire Helton. Just remember, you got a really good quarterback named Bryce Young who committed two years ago. So don't feel like you missed out just because DJ's going somewhere else. You, you've got your quarterback. So if you're an Oregon fan, and again, it's kind of funny. It's all kind of tying together. Oregon is, is now pivoted to Jay Butterfield. We're going to talk about all three quarterbacks later. So it's kind of like Kevin Bacon. Everything comes back to, <laughs> you know, to DJ and, and Jay Butterfield and, and uh, Bryce Young. So uh, only guy who committed was DJ, although on Wednesday, which is when the show is going to air, uh, Narbon DB, Brandon Jones, will be making his commitment. Um, I've been uh, had my crystal ball for Stanford for Brandon Jones for a while, mm. so I still feel pretty good about the Cardinal and, and their chances for Brandon. He's visited there, I think, like five or six times and really likes it there. So Brandon Jones, um, part of five defensive backs at mm. – Narbon, who all have legitimate high-level BCS offers, including a couple of them, uh, Jared Greenfield and Tony Beavers, who just visited USC over the weekend. USC offered both kids, which was interesting because, number one, Tony Beavers already committed to Oregon, and number two, Greenfield, who's going to commit on June 10th, uh, is also a pretty strong, heavy Oregon lean. Uh, but we'll see what happens now with USC involved in the, in the picture. I know Anthony told me that uh, offer was kind of eye-opening for him. That was the school he kind of grew up with. And I think Greenfield was also a pretty big USC guy growing up, them and UCLA. So USC is kind of coming in late for both those two guys. And obviously, Darion Green-Warren is also at Narbonne. So uh, pretty nice little stack secondary for 
the Gauchos right now. Uh, a couple other new offers out. Um, uh, we also had an official visit. Court Williams took his official visit, visit to Oklahoma. Mm. Loved it there. Uh, he was at A&M the weekend before, and he's got a trip set to Ohio State. That was kind of my early leader for court with Ohio State. But I know Oklahoma made a, a pretty big impression on him. So uh, right now, I think those two schools might be the two teams to beat, Oklahoma and Ohio State. And just some new offers. Obviously, right now, it's spring ball, so you're going to have offers flying out. But uh, Servite uh, defensive lineman Ender Aguilar landed Colorado. Uh, Pasadena Muir. 21 DBs, Kalen Bullock, Jameer Johnson, both landed Oregon and Miami. Joey Holbert, San Juan Hills receiver, landed Washington State. Uh, Bo Collins, Maximus Gibbs, Ernest Green, uh, landed Nebraska, Miami, and TCU. And then uh, UCLA's offering Logan Loya. So a lot of action. And again, you're going to see more offers coming out every day um, just because now schools can come out and visit campuses and watch spring ball. And so it should be an exciting time. No question about it. But I have a very, very honest question for you, Greg Biggins. Would you take the Narbonne secondary over USC secondary right now? <laughs> it, nah, it, that's a fair on. question. Nah. Nah. No? These are still high school kids. These are still high school kids. You still got USC's guys who've been trained and been coached up a little bit at the college level, competition level. Um no, I mean, you're still talking about, you know, Telenoa Hufanga. You're still talking about Elijah Griffin. Uh, hopefully, Isaac Taylor Stewart um, is going to have a bounce back year and get healthy. Uh, I, I still think you take those guys. But, uh, hey, Narbonne, look at what they're doing. They're Greenfield, Beavers at, Greenfield yeah. Beavers at safety. Yep. And then you got, you know, Darren Green Warren at, at one corner. Brandon uh, Jones. Mason Williams at one corner. You got Brennan Jones yep. at the slot. Yep. Uh, Nickel, excuse me. Yep. So, pretty good high school secondary right there. Yeah, that, that's pretty loaded. So, uh, thank you, GB, for your recruiting news that that Narbonne secondary is loaded. Um, but, or you know, fans being disappointed DJ didn't go to SC. Yeah, you're right. You got Bryce Young. And we'll talk about that as we kind of move through the show. Uh, but thank you, GB, for your recruiting news, my man. It's time. My favorite part of the show, Greg Biggins, our Sleeper of the Week. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, our sleeper of the week this week. Man, GB, off air, you gave me some information that I was not privy to prior, but did it blow me away. You, you brought this young man to the table. You plan on going to see him later on today for, the, for his college showcase. Why don't you go ahead and present him to the fans? Yeah, so Peter Costelli is, is not a is not a name that people haven't heard of. He's a tourney league quarterback, played at Santa Margarita last year. Um, pretty solid season. And originally from St. John Bosco, 
going to Mission Viejo, play for Chad Johnson. Um, so he's been out there, no offers yet for him. And I think he's a guy who's got a lot of a lot of physical tools. I really think he, you know, he's he's your pocket guy who can run. Uh, and when I say he can run, to quote the legendary Deion Sanders, this guy can run, run. We're talking 10-8 in the hundred meters, Keith. And I'm a yeah. big track geek. Been gone to a lot of a lot of track meets. Uh, was at two this past weekend just because it's fun and my son was running in one of them and so I'm looking at the track wire I'm on the websites I'm looking at you know D1 D2 you know Mark Perry is running 10.38 and Kenyon Reed 10.6 and I got to see Long Beach Poly uh, this past weekend they're at the same place my son was running and uh, they ran a 10 or excuse me a 40.99 of 4x1 which is flying Um, but as, as I'm looking I'm seeing Peter Costelli Mission Viejo High school, and I knew he he had already broken sub eleven a couple times, but he went ten eight. And as as I said, and you kind of corrected me, you know that's flying for a quarterback. No, that's flying for anybody who's running on the track. Sub eleven at the high school level is extremely good. So Peter Costelli, he's an athlete. I'm excited to see how Chad's going to use him uh, again. You know, he's. I think he's going to be the guy for them. They got depth at quarterback at Michigan, but I think he's going to end up being the guy and playing in Chad's offense. And he has two years to go, just a sophomore, junior to be, class of 2021, and just uh, a lot of upside with this kid. And I love dual sport athletes. I think the NFL draft has proven you want to do multi sports, you want to run track, you want to be an athlete, even quarterbacks. You look down the list, a lot of these top guys, whether it be Callum Murray playing baseball sam darnold playing basketball i mean they all were dual sport athletes and i think peter costello is a guy who's he's not there yet but he's got a chance to be really really good so sleeper of the week should almost not be a sleeper it should almost be like hey watch out for this kid peter costello you know gb on paper peter costello looks like a dynamic weapon you, you give that to a guy an offensive mind like a chad johnson head coach at mission viejo and they could cause big-time problems for Southern California defenses. Peter Costelli, stay dangerous. Transparent truth, sleeper of the week. I'm excited about that duo. I'm just just Chad and Peter working oh, together. You, you know, know what I'm my saying? My first thought was, well, sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you no, off. No, it's okay. But, uh, you know, obviously he transferred from Santa Margarita. Can you, what, not to not turn to this Chad at all, Chad's my guy, but can you imagine him in Centennial's offense with how they run the quarterback? Yeah, with a 10-8. Remember Tanner McKee, yeah. you know, doing those crazy, you know, zone reads and taking off to add at a ten eight quarterback mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing, man, that'd be fun to see. No question about it. I'm I'm excited. I, I may get down uh, I may get down to Mission Viejo today, or which would be yesterday, to go see the, the showcase, still trying to decide. But um if I do, my eyes will be firmly locked into Peter Costelli as a quarterback. And uh, I really wanna see, I really wanna dig into his entire you know, on-field profile to find out what I need to find out uh, about the young kid. Because again, on paper, man, that's a that's a serious combination of because um, he's a good-sized kid. He's not a you know, he's not a 170-pound kid. Um, Greg, what is he about six three? Well, he's six three and 200, 205, 210. Right. Right. He's big. He's right. a big size kid. So, yeah. yeah. If, if you said that about a defensive back who was 6'3", 205, ran 10'8", you'd say, okay, I'm recruiting that guy. If you said that about yeah. a receiver, you'd say, I'm recruiting that guy. If you said that about a linebacker, you'd say, I'm recruiting that guy. Yeah. So, um, that'll be interesting. So, Peter Costelli, 
be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. I, I venture to say offers will be coming out as soon as about 8 p.m. tonight. 8 p.m. tonight, Greg Biggins. That's what I'm calling for Peter Costelli. Let's move along. Um, GB, interesting stat. Interesting stat. So yesterday I came across a tweet, and it was from Max Olsen. I don't even know who Max Olsen is, but I came across his tweet. Uh, Michigan quarterback Brandon Peters, he jumped into the transfer portal. And that what that meant was 17 of the top 25 quarterbacks in the 2016 class have transferred. 17 of the top 25 have transferred. The ones who have not transferred, Greg, uh, number one, Dwayne Haskins. Of course, he was just drafted. Um, KJ, KJ Costello, who was number three in the country, who, who had a good season. Last year at Stanford, Felipe Franks, who's still trying to find his footing in Florida, Jared Garantano, Garantano, excuse me, at Tennessee, who's been very up and down, Jawan Pass at University of Illinois, who looks like he probably needs to change positions, Jake Bentley at South Carolina, who's been very inconsistent, Dylan Sterling Cole at ASU, um, has not done much at all, and then Seth Green, who's at Minnesota, is now playing wide receiver. Greg, so I asked you this uh, recruiting analyst. Top 25 quarterbacks, 17 have transferred. 23 have done virtually nothing or very little at the college level. What what does that say? Where are we at right now with quarterbacks? What does that say? What What do you take from that, Greg? Yeah, and I think I don't think you mentioned it. that's from the class of 2016. Correct? Yes, yes. I don't. I'm not sure you mentioned what what year mm-hmm. what, what these guys were. Uh, n- number one, I think in hindsight. So I think two things. Number one, not a great year for quarterbacks that year in hindsight. Dur- during that year, I thought both Jacob Eason and Shea Patterson were both going to be really good, and I still haven't given up on either of them. Shea's uh, transferred from Ole Miss to Michigan. Jacob Eason will be the guy at Washington this year. So. Still plenty of time. I, I definitely think, <clears throat> excuse me, I definitely think Shea's going to get drafted. <clears throat> Jacob Eason, I need some water over here, Keith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Jacob, e- Jacob Eason needs to put together a, a season, but from a physical tool standpoint, Eason is a guy who absolutely can, can bring it, but he's got to learn how to play the position a little, little bit better. But I, I think, so one thing, not a great year. Number two, I think you're seeing that quarterbacks are now under the impression, and maybe data is showing it, uh, a lot of these top guys that were drafted very highly were guys who transferred. I think people are seeing it, hey, I don't want to wait around for my junior year and play my junior year and my senior year and then leave. They're feeling as a kid. There's a guy ahead of me who's either in the same class, or gosh, maybe even in, in the same class behind me. I need to go somewhere where I can play. You know, Baker Mayfield did it. And so did Kyle Murray. Obviously, different circumstances. Both those were the top two quarterbacks, top two players taken right. the last two years. So, and I think people are saying, I don't want to wait. People used to wait their turn. Now they're saying, you know, I don't need to. Data showing, hey, guys are getting drafted. I don't want to waste my time and just give myself only one year. I need to get out and go play and play now and excel if I want to have a chance to make the NFL. That's and that's what the mindset is with a lot of quarterbacks these days, Keith. Yeah, and I hear that as a mindset, but it begs the question, Greg. Um, Kyler Murray, one-year starter, 
at Oklahoma, first pick in the draft, um, when I look at this, and I remember this group coming out. I remember this group coming out, Greg, um, was at the opening, you know, in Oregon. Uh, I was at the opening, I guess, was the semifinals. I remember this group well. I remember Brandon Peters, and I remember thinking to myself, and I told people who were near me, this guy isn't very good. And I had already had it pegged in my head that this guy wasn't going to make it at Michigan, was probably going to transfer. So when I saw this yesterday, I said, "Eh, there it is. Um, But I remember this group of quarterbacks. uh, I remember I started off very high on K.J. Costello, but that light dimmed a little bit kind of as I dove into his package a little bit more and got a chance to see him more up close. Um, still, I still liked him, but I didn't love him. Felipe Franks was a big, strong kid with a power arm, but he came from a very limited background in terms of throwing the football, right? Um, in an actual game. He played on like a wing T team. He was he was relatively raw in his mechanics. Um, even though he was a bit of a natural thrower, um, he just didn't have the experience behind him. And still seems to be kind of making a transition. Jared Garantano, he was inconsistent at the Elite 11 stuff. Sometimes he'd look great. Sometimes he'd look very average. Well, that's been the Jared Garantano at Tennessee as well. Um, Dwayne Haskins, um, and I I remember I said this uh, privately and I said this publicly. um, And I remember seeing them at the, I guess it was the Elite 11 semifinals or whatever they call it. It's the finals or the semifinals. I don't know. But the I one at, the one at Redondo. No, it was at uh, USC. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. It was at USC, and I remember tweeting this out. I said, "Dwayne Haskins is the best quarterback here." Um, I didn't know much about him. <laughs> I need to see. I need to see this tweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if I could go back and find it, I would. <laughs> but I, I loved him, Greg. He was about as natural of a thrower um, as as I had seen there. Um, he had the type of confidence. He, the moment wasn't too big for him at all. He was bouncing around. He was slinging the pill. He was stroking the rock. And I and I remember texting my brother after I said, man, look out for this dude, uh, Dwayne Haskins. And he's like, well, who is this? This kid from the East Coast. I said, but he's a bad dude, though. I'm telling you, he looked great. <laughs> um, my and, man. And Haskins, you know, he's lived up to, you know, his ranking. Jawan Pass. I was never high on. He had the very awkward throwing motion, very um, interesting way of delivering the football. He struggled at Illinois, excuse me, at Louisville. Jake Bentley, I don't remember seeing at all. Um, Dylan Sterling Cole, I do remember seeing there. He he didn't make much of an impression at all. He was just kind of a guy. And then Seth Green, I had never seen before. But out of the group that's who had who hasn't transferred, I remember distinctly Dwayne Haskins was the guy for me who jumped out. Uh, KJ Costello was the guy I was on first. He was the guy I was high on first. But the more I got to see him, the more that shine rubbed off. Um, so that that's kind of my deal on it. Like you said, uh, Shea Patterson still at Michigan had a pretty good year. I thought Costello had a better year. But Shea had a pretty good year. And then you have um, Jacob Eason, who's a lot like, I think, a quarterback we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Big kid, semi-athletic, power arm, can throw the ball 80 yards. 
um, dual sport guy, national player of the year. I I want to say, Greg, is that true? Is that accurate? I think he was uh, at a high school. Jacob Eason. Yes. I don't remember. Okay. If he was national, I know he put up huge numbers, but I don't, I don't recall okay. if he was national player of the year that that year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that is. Um, that's the 2016 class, so it's it's been a little underwhelming. A couple guys still in the stable with some, with some with some pretty good upside. So between Costello, Peters, excuse me, not Peters, Costello, um, Patterson, and uh, East and Greg, that's your um, those are your your golden boys, and they've kind of got to get it done for that 2016 class, or or it's going to look real bad. Yeah, no, I, I remember that U.S. I think you're going off of the Elite Eleven. I thought you're looking at maybe like the composite rankings because. Um, no, Elite Eleven. The Elite Eleven, okay. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, I'm not I'm not saying you're you're you got a little revisionist history, but at that USC workout, uh, Shea Patterson was the guy who just killed it in the seven on seven. I mean, he was the one that had the best workout where even. At that point, we were with Scout. Barton Simmons was there from 24-7, and he was on the Jacob Eason bandwagon because of the length, the size, the arm. And even by the end of that, he's like, okay, okay, I'm coming around. Shea is, is unreal. Then Shea went and obviously was the MVP at the Elite 11 also at the opening. Excuse me. But you know what? The guy who I'm looking at, the composite rankings, and for those who don't know what a composite, it's all the services combined into one. The guy who was ranked, Keith, mm-hmm. number... 26 was Justin Herbert at the Sheldon in Oregon. And I remember doing a radio show after he committed. He was almost like a, a late throw-in for Oregon. They already had recruited another quarterback and they added Justin really, really late. People are going, who the heck is this guy? Why is Oregon adding this guy? And they, I did a radio show, John Canzano, and he was kind of like, is this guy just a, a throw-in? You know, he committed, you know, kind of late, blah, blah, blah. I go, Do you know what? On, on tape, this guy looks really, really good. He just didn't go to anything. Didn't go to any camps, didn't go to any workouts, didn't do any seven on seven. Mm-hmm. But just playing against his competition in Oregon, which kind of you kind of you know measure accordingly. He's sure. not going against kids similar size. He was probably bigger than most linemen he was going against. But right. this guy could really throw the football. And that looks like he might be you know the, the top quarterback in next year's draft. So you just never know with quarterbacks. I mean, you really don't. So much depends on upstairs. Um, you know, you mentioned. Jacob Eason kind of being similar physically to, to DJ. I think the one big difference, though, is just in terms of commitment. Um, you know, Jacob Eason, and he would admit this, you know, was kind of like the whole party scene. You know, he was a party kid. And that was, that was, he enjoyed the college life, I think, more than he enjoyed studying his playbook. So, hmm. um, so much of being a quarterback at the next level isn't just relying on physical stuff. It's what do you have from the shoulders up? That's, for me, it's it's all about that. You need to have serviceable physical tools. You can't have a guy who can't throw the ball five yards sure. to be really, really smart. So when I say it's all about upstairs, I'm saying you need to have those serviceable tools. But so much depends on, you know, how much do you love football? Can you study it? Do you want to study? Do you want to get up early in the morning and watch the film? How fast do you process chaos with pressure around you? How fast right. can you go from one to two to three? Poise, toughness. All that stuff matters so much more than just about anything else that that's hard to measure at the high school level. I think that's why you see so many quarterbacks and even, shoot, even NFL 
teams are drafting guys in the first round who never piss a drop. And I think because it's so hard to measure so many, so many of these factors that are, that are more important than anything else. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I do think there I do think there is or there are things um, that are in place that can really evaluate those things and assess those things closely. I'm just not sure why uh, people don't put those things um, or incorporate them in their in their their evaluation process. Um, but I I think there are I think there is a better way to do it. Greg, I don't. I don't think it has to be a crapshoot the way it probably is a crapshoot right now. And I think you have to get into their heads, but I think there's a way to get into their heads and find out what you need to find out to make the type of evaluation that you need to make on a kid. Um, but you know, is somebody going to invest that type of time, you know, resources and energy into that? I don't know. Um, that's not my call. But. Um, the 2016 class is, is is not looking great, GB. It's not looking great. Hopefully, uh, those few guys that are left who are relevant can uh, can step up to the plate and get some things done. But until then, it's looking bleak. Memphis bleak for the 2016 group, Greg Biggins. It's time to move along. Hey, GB, I really did have Haskins as that guy. And you know what? I, I don't doubt you. I just don't ever remember you saying it until until now. I'm, I'm not I, saying you're going I, the revenge. I'm not yeah. saying you're going revisionist history. I'm just saying I don't ever remember you. But yeah. you know what? You, you, I'm sure you. I'm sure you probably did. I just again, I just don't remember. You know, Some, you have a way of, of not saying things at the time, and then three years later, man, I love this guy. No, I've never done that. But that, so that's my that's my you're my guy. That's Keith being Keith. No, don't ever change. I've, I've I've never done that. Um, Never change. If somebody teach me how to go back into my tweets, let's go back to 2000. What would that be? That would be 2015. Yeah, because it's 2016 class. So teach me how to get back to four years ago. Um, Elite 11 happens when? It's in the summer. Summer of 2015. Somebody teach me or, or listeners, fans, please send me a message. Teach me how to go back into my tweets from the summer of 2015. Guarantee you'll find what I said about Haskins. Guaranteed. 100%. Um, but let's move along. Greg Biggins, we want to talk about, you know, as we're in the spirit of talking quarterbacks, 2016 is kind of flatlined. They've kind of fell flat on their face a little bit. We got the 2020 group. You and I have been excited about this group, mainly because of two players, but there's a third guy in the race. We're talking about Bryce. We're talking about DJ. We're talking about Jay Butterfield. So Bryce Young, quarterback Modern Day, DJ Uyalele, quarterback St. John Bosco, and then Jay Butterfield, quarterback Liberty High School. And Greg, very transparently, I like to break these guys down um, in in subcategories. We talked a little bit about this off air. Let's start off at the top. Let's start off with leadership. Um, and I think this is one of those this is one of those subcategories, Greg, that people don't necessarily know if a kid has it or not. They just kind of kind of have to find out as you go. But let's talk about it. So leadership. Why don't you take the first those three guys? 
and break them down in terms of what you know in terms of their leadership ability? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I like all three from a leadership standpoint. Um, I would say of the three, Jay's probably the most introverted, not, you know, a, a real rah-rah in the huddle kind of a guy. Um, you know, Bryce is the one who, you know, you kind of see him leading the team onto the field, kind of what Rollinson used to do. Uh, Bryce is very, very uh, extroverted. Um, and then I think DJ is kind of a combination of both. I think he is so well-respected by his teammates because of the way he carries himself that I think he also is a extremely, extremely high-level leadership, highly respected um, on and off the field. So I would give all three guys pretty high marks in the leadership category, although with Jay, I'd like to see him maybe, if it's not his personality, don't change your personality, but maybe just be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more if, if he can. But if he doesn't want to and that's not him, that's fine too. But uh, I think all three are very solid in that area. Okay, and, and I probably should have did this before I even asked you to answer that question. So I want to make sure we define leadership. Greg, I think that's important for the listener. Um, le- so leadership, it can be measured by um, a quarterback's toughness. That means physically and mentally. His level of intensity. His ability to make clutch plays and find a way to win. His ability to move his team and get into the end zone and his ability to play well under adverse conditions. He must be competitive and confident. And the ability to inspire confidence of his teammates or his ability to garner the respect of his teammates on and off the field. So I'm reading this. I'm, yeah, I'm reading this off. This is this is like it's a part of my quarterback subcategory breakdown. Okay. One of the things I'm, I wasn't sure about, the one about leading your team into the end zone. I mean, that seems like that's more about physical talent than, than leadership. You can be a great leader, but not be, you know, you're the, the best guy on the team. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you you check off every box, but unfortunately, you're, you're not able to lead your team to the end zone because you're just not very good at football. You can still be a great leader, no, right? It, but it's under adverse conditions. To get the team into the end zone and play well under adverse conditions. Okay, so it's kind of like competitive greatness, John Wooden. Y- yes, like yes, success. yes. There you go. So okay, gotcha. When when I look at that, a couple things stand out for me, and and, and really what I want to do is I want you know I don't want to just give my opinion. I want to give some factual data, give you an, a, a reference, a a a. a <clears throat> Ref- I keep having these things go off. Reference a time, place, or an event where you can check off, hey, bang, this guy right here, right? So, for me, this is Bryce's category, for me. I think Jay, like you said, is a little introverted, he's a little quiet. He hasn't, I don't think he's come out of that shell and like really stepped into his greatness in terms of leadership. DJ, I think is a very good leader. I think uh, he thrives um, on the field, the respect of his teammates because of his humble nature off the field, his, I think his team first mentality. I think that's where he thrives. In terms of on the field leadership, I think that's Bryce 100%. Um, his toughness in the games that I've seen, whether he was at Cathedral getting banged around and still leading his team, um, or you talk about you know the game against IMG, uh, where you know Nolan Smith is after him, 
Um, he leads the final drive, which was a thing of Butte. Uh, dives into the end zone for the game winner. I think the the St. John Bosco game, where I thought he played relatively flawless besides the, um, the, the ball he dropped going into the end zone. Uh, but I thought, you know, Bosco had great pressure on him. They made him move, but, you know, Bryce thrives with movement. I thought his competitive greatness, his confidence, the ability to rise in adverse conditions, and his ability to make clutch plays. In the biggest game, this guy makes the most clutch plays. To me, that says leadership. And I just think he's a 10 in that area. A 10. He's got that clutch gene. Not to say the other two guys don't have it, but I don't think they have what Bryce has. Bryce is special in that leadership category. Can yeah, I, can, I, I, can I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I still just don't know if I would define all of what you just said as mm. leadership. Okay. I feel like competitive greatness, yes. Clutch gene, yes. Um, is there leadership in that involved in that? Heck yeah. But I feel like that's you're, that's a lot of other things that go that go into it. Not just I think of leadership as being, you know, being a lot of those those things. But I also feel like you kind of you kind of when you're talking about late game heroics. And, and having the clutch, I feel like that's almost more, I think it's like clutch and, lead, and leadership are kind of similar, a little bit of crossover, but I feel like they're a little bit different. Clutch, competitiveness, and leadership, I almost feel, feel leadership is kind of almost just as much what you do off the field as you do in the fourth quarter down four with a minute left to go. Yeah, yeah, so, off the field is definitely a part of it, Greg. Um, I know, for me, I define it as all all encompassing in those things that we just talked about. So, um, love DJ off the field, that humble nature, the respect of his teammates. I love um, Jay because uh, that kind of quiet confidence he has, the unassuming leadership um, that he shows. I think that you know he has he has his a certain way. I, they're all different, right? They're all different. DJ is different. Jay is different. But for me, in that category. If I were drafting or if I had to sign, I had my choice to sign a top quarterback in the leadership category, Bryce is my guy. Nobody's more clutch. Nobody's better in in tight situations. Look at the Adidas 7-on-7. I know they snuck a guy on the field. They threw a touchdown. He still had to get the conversion. What does he do? Throw a rope to win it? Uh, To me, he's he's just that guy. Um, Let's move to the next category, Greg. Poise and pocket presence. Let me define it first before um, I have you um, give me your, 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 give me some feedback. Quarterback's ability to make accurate throws when under duress. Consistently, he will be required to throw from a collapsing pocket and with defenders bearing down on him. Throwing with defenders in and around his body is normal. And if he can't make throws with defenders in his space, Flashing in his vision, he will struggle eventually down the road. Does he see the rush when the defense is coming? We need him to be able to feel the rush while maintaining his eyes down the field. Go ahead, Jimmy. So I kind of see where this is all going, but I'll, I'll play along. So I think all those things you just described, it's not like you're describing Bryce before we even, you know what I'm saying? I feel like. We're watching, we're watching Bryce Young tape, and 
all those things kind of accurately describe him in terms of his ability to create, improvise, um, move around in the pocket, rolling right, rolling left, eyes on the field, take off and run if he needs to, throw at the ball if he needs to. I would definitely give Bryce uh, a 10 out of 10 in that category. Um, I think that's, that's an area that DJ can improve upon. I think DJ is a good athlete, mm-hmm. um, but I think in terms of just feeling the pressure, making the throw, we saw him struggle a little bit with that against Modern Day the second time. Uh, first time, he was, he was protected pretty well, made big-time throws. Uh, ironically, you know, maybe the, were the best throws I've ever seen DJ make was against Modern Day yes. two years ago. When yes. he subbed in, that was the Real Mitchell game, and he mm-hmm. did a little dip, shoulder dip, come up, mm-hmm. bullet, 80 yards down the field to Chris Hudson, yep. 70 yards. I, I think Jay is the guy who isn't going to give you a whole lot outside the pocket. Um, you know, strictly a pure pocket guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he can definitely deliver the ball. But with, with the pass rush and making guys miss, all of that, that, that's an area that he really needs to get a lot better at. That's kind of how I would how would I would break those three down. Yeah, and I, I think you're about I think you're about right. I think I agree with you probably on every point that you made. Um, other than um, I wasn't taking this anywhere. These are literally subcategories on how I evaluate quarterbacks. Um, and with pocket presence, I think DJ can be a little inconsistent. Like you said, I thought again, I'm with you, one of his greatest plays that I've seen. Um, was that play against Modern Day where he, like you said, he shoulder rolls a guy, reloads and fires a rocket, and that was awesome. Um, but I also feel like again that's a that's a an area that he needs to improve on. Um, Bryce, in terms of pocket presence, does he, does he feel the rush? Yes. Is he looking at the rush? I don't believe so. I think his eyes are always downfield. Um, can he make throws with defenders around him? He can, but I don't think he's as good probably as DJ is in terms of making throws with defenders around him. I think it's, it's a different for Bryce. When defenders are around him, he's getting out. DJ, when defenders are around him, he's still going to make the throw. So in that part of pocket presence, I think DJ probably has the edge. Um, again, Jay is somebody who's built very linear um, and, and very thin. And right now, I don't think he's strong enough just in terms of his body to be confident enough to throw a guy either draped on him or guys, you know, uh, near him tight in a kind of a, a, a conflicted pocket. Um, so pocket presence, I'd have to go with Bryce um, and poise. But I think DJ, I don't know, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's, it's a tale of two stories for me with DJ in terms of pocket presence. As a sophomore, I saw the presence. As a junior, I thought he took a step back in terms of pocket presence. You know, probably the best pocket presence in the country is probably Parker McQuarrie. I know he's not a part of this this, this conversation, but he's about a guy who could throw the ball while being hit, while guys at his feet, being able to throw with guys draped on him. I mean, he was he's fantastic in that area. But I think DJ... Um, that's his biggest area of improvement. I read your article the other day. You wrote about DJ in terms of analysis, Greg. You talked about, uh, I think you gave him a 7 out of 10. That was a big area of improvement for him. And I think um, his ability to not look at the rush and not bring his eyes down on, in a conflicted pocket is probably his biggest flaw. Um, and that's where he kind of needs to really, really improve on kind of as he moves forward into his senior year. Um, so, you know, that that's how I kind of graded those guys out in pocket presence. One, two, and three. 
feel and then, and Keith, just to jump in it, with DJ, honestly, like he was really only mentioned a setback last week. The only he was only really rushed once the whole entire year, and that was that last Mother Day game. Maybe a little bit of the Jay Sarah game as well, but right. it's almost like you can't really artificially make it happen with pocket presence if you don't feel any pass rush because you're not getting a pass rush. Sure. You know, Bosco did such a good job with, with mm-hmm. Bryce. Sometimes my my critique with him, and I've told Bryce and and you know and his family this. I feel like sometimes Bryce almost anticipates the pass rush too much. His drops mm-hmm. doesn't get any depth. Really, really slow in his drops. Um, I like you getting three your three to five steps. Like I like you getting back right away. Right. Whereas Bryce is real, real casual, and the pass rush can get to him. And I almost felt like sometimes Bryce almost likes that. He likes the the ability to improvise, move around rather than just take your normal drop back, sit back, look, and throw the football. Um, I almost feel like he got much better at it, but early on in the year with Monday, I almost felt like he was playing better when there was chaos and he was kind of having to make off-platform stuff going on than just your typical stuff. And I was like, Bryce, you got to get depth. Bosco, when they hit him a ton in that first game and sacked him, I would bet half those sacks because Bryce doesn't get any depth. And his drops were, were way too slow. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something that they're going to work on. They actually told me they're working on it with this year with Coach Money at Modern Day. But that, that's something I think is – I love Bryce's ability to make stuff happen outside the pocket. I would even give him the edge over Parker. I know you like Parker a lot, and I do too. But I think Bryce is still special in that area. But I still think he can get better in terms of his drops and, and getting more depth and just how quickly he takes his drops. I'm glad you brought that up, Greg. I really am. Because I've long thought that – when circumstances don't present themselves, it doesn't give you the experience you need to apply what you've learned in tough moments. That's what I saw from DJ in the J. Sarah game. It's what I saw from him in the modern day game. Because in the other, um, well, how many games did they play? 14? Yeah. In the other 12 games, there's nobody around him. So when pressure did present itself, my my training didn't come to the forefront, right? I'm sure he's trained the right way, but his training didn't emerge because I don't think those circumstances presented themselves enough during the season. And that's no shot at Bosco. I mean, they got a really good offensive line. I get it. I mean, I'm not going to say, hey, let guys through so DJ can work on his stuff. Um, But I think that is the effect of not being in that set of circumstances more often throughout the year. Is that fair to say? 100%. That's not just football. That's life. Life, for sure. You're, you know, you're not going to hit a curveball, you know, if, if you never get thrown a curveball. Sure. You know, so, yeah, with DJ, you know, we want to him have a little better pocket presence. Mm-hmm. But again, this wasn't one of those things that he ever had to really face the whole entire year through 14 games, 13 games. Right. Let's move on to the next subcategory. We're talking about field vision and awareness. Quarterback's ability to see the field, maintain awareness and or field vision for wide receivers and defenders. He can not only make the reads, but progressions to see the holes in the defense. Let's talk about field vision and awareness for a quarterback, Greg. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Jay 
give him some love. I think this is where he really stands out. Mm-hmm. I think he's extremely advanced as a pocket guy, going from one to two to three, four reads. I love the way he sits in the pocket. I love the way he gets depth. I love the, the seriousness that he kind of takes what he does. When I, when I say seriousness, is even watching him in workouts, watching him at the Clarkson Memorial Day retreat last year, man, he just, he practices this. He takes it seriously. And I think he's excellent when it comes to field vision, getting the ball down the field, quick read. I'm not sure I'm even talking about the right category, but just quick read from yes. one to two to yes. three to Progressions. four. Progressions, mm-hmm. all that. I think Jay is extremely good. I think Bryce is, is really good too. I think DJ, that's, again, that's something that I, I want to see him improve upon. Mm. Um, and again, it, it's kind of similar to a guy who I've kind of compared a little bit, DJ to Carson Palmer. People don't remember Carson Palmer, his first couple years at USC, but he struggled. And Norm Chow, I saw him at a high school game, and I was like, dude, what's up with Carson? And he's like, right now, Carson's a one-read guy. And we tell him, if the running back or the receiver's his first read is covered, don't turn the running back out of the backfield, because he struggles going from the second read. Yeah. And there was a year where Malayapo McKenzie had like 50 catches, because mm. Carson wasn't able to go from his first to second read. Now, Carson, his first receiver option was almost always open, because he had some great guys that he was throwing to, but... You know, I think with, with Bosco, that first read is always open. But I think, again, probably kind of putting too much on, um, you know, that last modern day game. But it, that, I think that's an area, again, where if that first read's covered, you know, you got to be able to get to number two, number three, number four really, really quickly. I think Bryce does a pretty good job at that. But I, I really think Jay shines at that. It's funny. It's funny because I have here Jay Butterfield. I have it right in front of me, Jay Butterfield. And I think um, we just talked about how um, – the lack of experience in a certain area can really affect you, especially in, in really clutch moments. Think about Jay, right? Jay's a basketball player, Greg. What do you do as a basketball player? And he plays the wing, right? He's a three at 6'6". Six, six. He plays the wing, right? And as a basketball player, your job is to be able to read the defense, right? Coming off of a down screen, if they switch, you got to be able to flare, Right. If if they follow, you got to be able to curl into the middle of the lane. And if then you collapse the defense, you got to be able to drop it off. Being able to read the defense and react. Being a basketball player has probably helped in that area. Being able to see the defense, read the defense, understand where they're going to go. When my guy does this so I can go hit this guy because he's doing that. I have it right here. One, two, three. Jay. Bryce DJ. I think Bryce does a good job of it. Um, it's way, Bryce has really good eyes. You you go back and look at the tape, you can see him going through his progressions. And he goes through them pretty quickly. Um, I'd like to see him anticipate those that second read or that third read window. One thing Bryce does really well, he drops the ball. You just talked about it with Carson. Checks the ball down. How many times did you see him check the ball down to a Shakobi Harper, um, to a Sean Dollars? Go back to that last drive against IMG. It looked like Tom Brady dropping it off to J.R. Redmond versus the Rams in their first Super Bowl win. Go back and check. I have that drive saved on my phone. It's a thing. I hated of, that drive. Oh, hated that drive. 
Oh, the Ram drive. No, yeah, no. I have the IMG Modern Day oh, drive. Bryce's drive. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I but yeah, Tom no. Brady. But I, no, I hear you. I hear you. I was rooting for the Rams, and I, I couldn't believe it. But <laughs> Jr. is a guy I grew up with. I was happy for him, but no, that that hurt. But it's it's a great way. It's a great outlet for a quarterback who's getting options. You know, one and two taken away. You got to remember, Greg. Something's open. Something's always open. And if options one or two taken away, guess what? Your check down's going to be open. If your check down is covered, meaning they're squeezing a line of scrimmage or squeezing underneath routes, your mid-level routes are open. Well, if they're squeezing my check down and squeezing my mid, my second level routes, well, guess what? Over the top, I got single I got single high coverage. I can take my shots or with my matchups. It's all logic. I was a very good math guy, Greg. Very good math guy. A lot of that translates to the game of football. And it helped me be be one of the better IQ guys on every team that I've ever been on. If you just do the numbers. Now, doing the numbers is one thing. Can you do the numbers quickly? Can you process them fast? And then can you process them with, you know, guys like Keon Ware Hudson bearing down on your frame? Talking about field you know, one thing that also, I think that uh, that helps out Jay Butterfield. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that he plays basketball, but I also think you got to remember, you know, he grew up in a, in a football family. Dad played at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Yes, you got to be kind of smart to play quarterback at Stanford. So <laughs> you know, he he grew up with an X and O background. So seeing coverage, he's never seen a defense that he hasn't probably seen growing up from his dad, or even just you know being that guy who's just always been around the game. He's seen it all, and I think you're, it's just with reps comes confidence, but confidence comes ability to play quick mm-hmm. and recognize what you're seeing and get the ball out quickly. So uh, along with the basketball background, which I love, I think also just being groomed by a father mm-hmm. uh, you know, who probably raised him on X's and O's, that, that's also big for Jay. Sure. I agree with that. Let's move along. Accuracy short. Describes the ability of a quarterback to deliver the ball to wide receivers without making them adjust in routes fewer than 12 yards long with the ability to deliver a catchable ball where only the receiver has the opportunity to finish the play. This includes throwing the ball with touch and ball placement in the pocket, throwing with touch and ball placement on the move and under pressure, throwing with touch on screens, swings, slants, and short outs, allowing the wide receiver to run through the catch and gain yards as a ball carrier is imperative. That's my definition of short accuracy. Greg, go ahead. I like it. I like it. Okay. Um, so do you also have a category for like deep accuracy or intermediate accuracy? Yes. Intermediate accuracy. You have three different categories. Uh, I just really have short and long. Short can okay. kind of be um, translated to second level or medium accuracy. But just combine them. Read off your definition for the long, for long accuracy also. Okay, so um, just long at long accuracy describes the ability of a quarterback to deliver the ball to wide receivers without making them adjust in routes over 12 yards. This includes the, the ability to deliver a catchable ball where only a wide receiver has the opportunity to finish the play, throwing with touch and ball placement in the pocket, throwing with... Um, hold on, I lost my spot. And ball placement... Uh, throwing with touch and ball placement on the move and under pressure... Throwing with touch on deep balls, skinny post comebacks, and or dig routes while allowing the wide receivers to run through the catch. So essentially it's the same thing, just on deeper routes. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I want to combine them too because it is kind of similar concept. Yeah. Most quarterbacks, if you're accurate, obviously it's a lot harder to be accurate down the field, but if, typically if you're accurate, you know, deep, intermediate, short. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll probably disagree on this category for the first time. I really think from an accuracy standpoint, I think DJ's really, really good. I think he gets a lot of credit for his big arm, but in terms of just his ball placement and his ability to take a little bit off, uh, I've really been impressed the last couple of years watching him at, at all kinds of, whether it be practice, whether it be seven on seven, whether it be an actual live game, he can put the ball wherever he wants it. And his deep ball accuracy to me is exceptional. He doesn't, he gets just the right amount of air kind of segment over to Bryson. Bryson times doesn't get enough air. Um, early on in the year last year, him and Brew had some issues kind of connecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think arm strength is not an issue for Bryce. I think just getting a little bit more air, which he improved upon. And I think Jay is extremely accurate, too, mm-hmm. in, in, in all all levels. I just don't think he has the deep. I know arm strength is a little different category, but I think DJ's arm does help him to be accurate down the field. Um, he's got to give himself just a little bit more of a window because he can get the ball there a little quicker. So, I would, if we're talking just accuracy, I would probably give DJ the edge on this category. I have it right here in front of me. Um, accuracy. I, I broke them down into short and long. So um, for my short accuracy, um, it was DJ. For my long accuracy, it was DJ number one, Bryce two, J three. Okay. Um, we're on the I same page again. Who would have thought that? I, I thought that last year, this was the biggest jump DJ made <clears throat> for sure. His ability to put air under the ball and drop it into the bucket or to use that big arm and drive it 35 yards down the field on a, on a line um, was was phenomenal. I thought his ball placement was outstanding. One of the best throws I saw him make was kind of a, I don't know if it was, it was, it was, I don't think it was a slant. It was a little bit deeper, but it was to Bo Collins in the playoffs against Oaks Christian. I mean, he just hit him right between the numbers on like a skinny post. Ball was so accurate, and I mean, remember the couple shots he threw um, that he hit. Uh, what's your guy's name? The slot back Bailey against Modern Day. He hit him with a couple over the top for touchdowns that were just absolutely, you know, just beautiful, beautiful throws. I thought that's where he took the biggest leap last year was his accuracy. Um, some it used to be as a sophomore, he was throwing the ball too hard. Remember uh, Devin Cooley, Devin Cooley. Right, Devin Cooley was dropping a ball. Well, DJ's out there throwing fire, right? He's throwing fire, and um, sometimes it can be too hard to handle. But I thought he, he really improved on that this past season. Um, his accuracy was really good. I was impressed. I was definitely yeah, impressed. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I don't see that the Devin Cooley, that, that was as much on Devin Cooley. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Some issues. For sure. DJ was fired up, though, man. That was his, that was his debut. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's move What's along. Next? Yep, let's talk about arm strength. Um, and that can be defined as a quarterback's ability to deliver the ball with zip and velocity, throw the ball deep with little effort, deliver the ball with um, his arm only while falling, excuse me, deliver the ball with his arm only while falling away from pressure, like kind of like awkward positions, um, drive the curl and deep out, drive the ball without having to loft in order to reach the wide receiver. Um, this was a pretty easy one, but go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I think we kind of just not even talk about DJ because his arm strength is legendary. So uh, let's go Bryce and Jay. I, I actually think Bryce has a stronger arm than people give him credit for. Yes, I think I think he can bring it. 
And just like, I, I mean, I think he, he can make every throw on the field on a rope. He's got plenty. I, it's funny. I think actually the thing that Bryce probably needs to work on more is touch, not not arm strength. Um, not saying his touch is bad. Because that's how you know somehow people are. You say something not no, great, just something he can improve on. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. And then, uh, but I, I might, I might even give give Bryce a little bit of an edge on just pure arm, just raw power. We're not saying it's the most important thing. Just like you know, looks not the most important thing in a girl, but it's the first thing you notice, right? About a quarterback is his arm. Not the most important thing, but you do notice a guy can rip it in there. Um, I think Jay is, is maybe it's because he's got such an effortless release. And the ball comes out almost, I would say, like Andrew Luckish. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, people just kind of like dog Andrew Luck's arm until yes. they saw him throw the ball 80 yards at right. his pro day. And they're going, wait, Andrew Luck's going to throw it? I go, yeah, he could throw it. He just never needed to. So why he threw a catchable ball? Right. Um, so I think I put, put, kind of put Jay in that really catchable ball category. But in terms of raw zip, I might give Bryce a little, little bit of an edge over Jay, but it's close. Right. Um, I have it down right here. So DJ for sure. I definitely think Bryce's arm strength is underrated. He's got great arm strength. Um, he can change speeds. He can loft it. Um, he can throw off his back foot. Um, again, Jay, from a maturity standpoint, I think he's probably a, a year and a half behind in terms of 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 just like a power arm, right? Just to, to really be able to drive the ball um, into those tight windows and, and tight coverage. Um, so I have them one, two, three. Let's move along. Uh, mobility. That's the quarterback's ability to buy a second, uh, buy a second chance with his feet, and the quarterback's ability to throw while out of the pocket or on the move, along with providing a threat to the defense with his ability to run. Greg? So I think, I think, uh, I think Bryce is probably exceptional in this category. You have to give him the, the edge there. I think DJ, just like we say, Bryce has underrated arm strength. I think people kind of underrate. Uh, DJ's mobility. He doesn't. He didn't run much last year. They didn't really zone read him a lot. Um, but DJ in the open field is a scary thing to see because he can he can run for sure. And you don't want to have a guy who's 240 pounds coming at you with evil intention. So I, I definitely would go Bryce DJ. And then again, with, I mentioned earlier in terms of like pocket mobility, I think Jay's is, is you know he's not going to even try. You know he's kind of kind of similar to a, a Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And just like you kind of mentioned with the arm strength, you know, Jared Goff, I saw a ton in high school. Arm strength-wise, he was just average. Got mm-hmm. better at Cal, and then with the Rams now, he's, he's got enough arms. I think as Jay gets stronger, puts on a little more size, yes. like Goff, I think mm-hmm. his arm will improve. But like Goff also, you don't, you know, it's kind of funny, guy I follow on Twitter every time Goff takes off and runs, he calls it giraffe mode. Scott looks like a baby giraffe out of the womb when he kind of takes off and runs. And mm-hmm. I think Jay's kind of similar. You don't want, really want him to get out and try to run too much. Uh, but I do think it's an area that he can improve upon. Yeah, so in terms of um, buying a second of time with his feet in or outside of the pocket to make a throw, um, yeah, I think Bright, as DJ is as legendary with his power arm, legendary arm, Bryce is as legendary with his mobility. Inside the pocket, outside the pocket, he's about he's about as dangerous as you can get. Um, he's, you know, what was interesting, Greg, for me as I recollect, is Bosco had a lot of success a sack in Bryce, and nobody normally has a lot of success. I, th- I think that speaks to Bosco's athleticism and their talent on the defensive side of the ball. Guys like Court Williams, so on. You know, uh, Kobe Pepe. You know, uh, yeah. 
Rodman, Goldforth, yeah. So I think it, it really speaks to their athleticism and their length on the defensive side of the ball. But Bryce is very hard to, to sack. Not only is he quick, but he's crafty. Like a Sherman Douglas. You remember Syracuse basketball, Greg, back in the day? I, I do remember. I do remember Sherman Billy, Douglas. Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, basketball. and all oh, those yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. Just crafty, man, like a Kyrie Irving. That, that's probably a good comparison, a basketball comparison for Bryce. A Kyrie, just crafty. Tony Parker, just get around a hoop and you just find a way to not get the ball blocked and get it into the bucket. That, that, that's what Bryce reminds me of. Um, I like DJ's ability to run in the open field. Um, he's a big guy, so you don't expect him to be quick inside the pocket. But I think that's what some play. Well, some that's a place where he can move his foot quickness inside the pocket. Big guy, I get it. Two forty, six four. Is it in their DNA makeup to to have to to be quick inside the pocket? No, but is it something that I think he can prove on? Yes. Um, to make guys miss inside the pocket. He's more of, and, and, and because of his DNA, he's more of the Ben Roethlisberger than he is the Cam, Mo- Cam Newton, right? Um, ben is not going to make a bunch of people miss in pocket. What he is going to do, though, he's big enough, strong enough to shrug you off or throw while you're hanging on him. That's DJ's, um, that's his strength in that area. Jay, I think that's something that he can definitely improve on. Jay is not a bad athlete, but he's not a great athlete. Um, but I think he can. there's definitely room for improvement in terms of being quicker with his feet inside the pocket, like a Tom Brady. Tom Brady's not a great athlete, Greg. We all know this. Yeah. But is he quick and, and is he crafty inside yeah. the pocket? There's no Un- question. Unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable. There's no question. His ability to manipulate the pocket – and use the pocket to maneuver around and bypass defenders with his footwork is something is I've never seen anybody that good. I've never no. seen anybody that good. Unreal. Yeah. I, I just has business as you're talking of just his, his ability just his back pedal. Yes. It's inability to set, throw is unlike Joe Montana was really good at that too. Unfortunately, both those two guys have done plenty of that against my Rams, but uh <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I actually think, you know, I actually think Roethlisberger is pretty good about just kind of, he's kind of crafty himself for it. You wouldn't think of a guy who's like, you know, 390 being crafty, but <laughs> he, he's not bad about making some guys miss. But, you know, I, I like what you said about Bryce, because I remember, I'm not going not gonna to name names, but some, you know, some flappy, uh, you know, kind of compared to Michael Vick a couple of years ago. Yeah, no. And I think it's because he is so good moving around in the pocket, like he used the word crafty. Mm-hmm. He's probably, you know, a 4'8 guy. Probably. Michael Vick was a 4'3 guy. Right. Uh, but it's because Bryce moves so well, he looks like he's so much more dynamic as an athlete in terms mm-hmm. of just raw, yard, straight sure. line speed. He mm-hmm. looks like he's faster than he really is because he is so good moving around in the pocket. Yep. I agree. 100%. He's not Michael Vick. He's Bryce Young. And, man, he's just – I've played against guys like that, Greg, and it's measurable to play against those guys. It's, I mean, you think you have him dead to rights, and all of a sudden, he disappears. Yeah. Russell Wilson, right? He's yeah. Phenomenal. Right. I, and the reason why I nicknamed Bryce the magician, he just, he's there, and then he's gone. And then he throws a rocket for a touchdown. So, um, 
One, two, three. Bryce, DJ, J. Last category, Greg, and I want to wrap this up. We're talking about set quickness. A lot of people don't understand this category, but this, to me, this is very big in my eyes. Very, very big. And it's very important. Um, Drew Brees is phenomenal at this. John Elway used to be phenomenal at this. Set quickness is the quarterback's ability to buy a second, buy a second chance with his feet, and the quarterback's ability to throw while out the pocket, while out of the pocket, or on the move, along with providing a threat to the defense with his ability to run. Buying a second with his feet and ability to throw out of the pocket or on the move. You wouldn't think Drew Brees would be great at this, but he is, Greg. Um, whether he's climbing the pocket just using footwork or whether he has to take three or four steps to the right and throw the ball, he can set and throw and be accurate. John Elway was good at this. He put that ball in that one hand. You know how John would grip it with one hand, Greg? And he, he had those pigeon toes. He'd take off, and then he'd fire that thing. No, I, I could visualize Elway, how he, his stance. He yes. had such a unique stance, mm-hmm. how he, he would just move around, stance, and throw. But, yeah, he, you could almost do, like, a not even a picture of Elway, but just a, what do you call that when someone, like, draws a picture of someone, but you don't see it's them, a silhouette? Yes, a silhouette. The Elway, I could, you, we both could probably pick out an Elway silhouette just because of his stance was For so sure. unique. I'm with you. For sure. Um, so, so just in terms of a quarterback's ability to buy a second with his feet, ability to throw – while out of the pocket or on the move, along with providing a threat to the defense with his ability to run. Go ahead. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's. I think I, you know, for me, I think it's, it's, it's Bryce DJJ uh, again. That's just kind of more what they're what they're wired to do, what they're built to do. Bryce mm-hmm. again, he's almost as dangerous. You almost want him to be moving, setting, stressing the defense that way. You know, with DJ and Jay, you want them to be kind of more in the pocket. Um, I just I give DJ an edge over Jay just in terms of. You know, his ability to, um, you know, maybe buy a second. And, and just, I think he's, because he's so physically strong, I think DJ is, is going to really become excellent when it comes to, you know, being able to throw more on the run. Uh, whether you have a guy hanging on him or not, but I I, just, I think he's going to excel in that area. I think there's a, a place for him to improve upon. But I, I would probably score, you know, Bryce. That's kind of what he's built for. Mm-hmm. DJ, because he's a little bit better athlete, followed by Jay. Yep, have it right here, Bryce DJ J. Um, you know, for as quick and as crafty and as I don't know slick as Bryce is, he doesn't run a lot, right? He doesn't run a lot. No, Bryce is trying to. Last, I thought he should have ran more last year. Right, I agree with that. I agree with that. I thought, you know, I I think he can put more pressure on the defense if he decided to use his legs more to move the chains. Because then he put, he'll put he put you in a more difficult bind as a defender. Do I cover? Do I, do I plaster? Or do I come up and try to tackle this slippery little runt? You know what I mean? Um, and just putting that type of pressure on the defense causes a lot of conflict in the secondary, Greg. Guys, I, and I remember he did that against, uh, what was that game? Uh, Bishop Bishop Gorman. Uh, do you remember 
Um, he kind of he, he's in a he's in a well in the first quarter, he he runs up the gut, breaks to the outside, dances, dips, dives, dives into the end zone, touchdown. It was a dynamic run. It just looked like wow. And then later in the game, kind of the same thing happens. He gets it. He ends up. I don't think he comes up the middle, but I think he rolls to the right. People start coming out of coverage. He fires it deep, a perfect strike. It was, it was to one of the running backs. It was either Shakobi or Sean Dollar. I think it might have been to Shakobi. Do you remember that play, Greg? Yeah, no. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So just that pressure um, that he can put on a defense, um, that that's really difficult to defend. So in terms of set quickness, um, yeah, he's a, he's he's a serious problem. So, those are my subcategories on how I break down quarterbacks, Greg. Um, I actually um, crafted. I was I worked with Ray Farmer, who's the former GM of the Cleveland Browns. We actually worked on this together um, in Canton, Ohio. Once we kind of finally got a chance to meet, sit down and talk, me and Ray, we definitely hit it off. He's a great guy. He's a smart guy. He was a 20-year NFL scout. Um, things didn't work out as a GM um, with the Cleveland Browns for multiple reasons. But um, we sat down. We crafted um, subcategories for every position, Greg. Um, and it's kind of how I do my evaluation. So it was I was happy to do this on air so that everybody can kind of hear how I at least go through my evaluation of quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, just so they can get have a kind of a transparent view of, of, of how I do things. Because, you know, a lot of times you know, people like to argue or, or may, maybe not argue, but even have their own opinion. Now you know where mine come from. This is the process that I take um, our rankings through. Um, every guy that we rank at the Hall of Fame, and, and those will be coming out, uh, you know, June or this summer. Um, every guy that we rank goes through that entire process for the, you know, their position, their all the subcategories. So, um, any feedback on on what we just did, GB? Yeah, no, I, I love the categories, and again, I think people need to remember that so much of college success, and then obviously NFL, depends on things that we didn't even talk about. You know, it's it's going to be staying healthy, it's going to be talent around you, it's coaching, it's development. And I think I brought it up last week, you know, watching, again, Trent Edwards and Matt Leiter in high school. And if you watch those guys side by side, if we did this little exercise, and Trent was, they're both kind of pocket guys, but if we did this exercise, you would have had scored a Trent over Matt in every single category, and most of them weren't close. But Trent picked Stanford, which it wasn't the Stanford of today. It was a really bad football team. Yeah. Matt played on a generational USC team and never got touched for three years, two years. So, again, so much depends on the system, this college you pick. Again, I think for the way we describe these two guys, you know, I think DJ's going to Clemson is a perfect fit for him. He's a pocket guy. They run a pocket offense. Uh, he'll be protected and he'll have great receivers. You know, Bryce is going to be going to, to USC. Not a knock, but he's going to need to have to run around a little bit more, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, as well. you're absolutely so, right. I, I think Bryce would, will have success at USC. Um, I think he fits what Graham Harrell wants to do. It's that get the ball quick and be decisive with your reads and all that. So, uh, But, again, you know, one could have way more success just based on the talent and the coaching around you at that next level. So. Fun, ex- fun exercise for sure, though. I, I enjoyed doing this. No, no, that was really cool, and that's that's a great point, Greg. Great point about 
They're all there. You know, even though you take these kids through this evaluation process, there are other components that you don't see or don't have control of. Right. Again, um, the men you talked about earlier, the mental side of the game. You know, we know these kids, but I, I've yet to sit down with Bryce or DJ or any quarterback at the high school level and really dug into, you know, how much do they know about football? How much do they really know about the X's and O's, the reads, the progressions, the checkdowns, um, and where pressure's coming from, how to set your offensive line? How much do they know? How much are they, are they willing to know? What are they willing to sacrifice to, to learn that knowledge? Because there, there's a sacrifice involved, correct? Huge sacrifice. And, and again, I've, I've sat with kids, I, again, going back to the Elite 11 days, where there's been guys that we all swore. We saw them in Chalk Talks for four days, said this, this guy is going to be tremendous. He's smart. He gets it. And then he goes to college and decides and, and discovers girls for the first time. Mm-hmm. He discovers parties for the first time. And this guy who was this little bookworm, almost nerdy kid, he, he thought was gonna, he, he gets it, ends up being radically different than you could have projected him because he didn't show any of those signs to, to anybody back in high school. So, you know, hopefully Jay and DJ Bryce, they all just, and from what we do know of them, I think they all very committed to football. Um, they are very grounded kids. And I, I don't have any fears of them showing up on a milk carton or doing a bunch of wacky stuff. But the quarterback position, man, it's, it is crazy. And again, not just going from high school to college, these NFL GMs, you know, I'm, I'm sure... You know, Mr. Farmer could have probably told you a thousand stories of guys that they all projected to be great. And, I mean, just go look at the draft the last 10 years. You're going to see guys in the first round who never played a down. And you got to figure, dude, these GMs made millions of dollars. They did every exercise you can think of. They did what we just did. They did psychological tests. They talked to high school janitors. They talked to coaches and teachers. They talked to everybody. And yet these guys still... Never made it. So it's just, I don't want to say it's luck, but at sometimes there is a lot of things that you just can't ever predict. It's, it's really, really tough. The quarterback position is probably the toughest position in any sport to predict. Greg, let me clear it up for you. You do need luck. You do. That's just what it is. You yeah, need no, things to fall. I, I don't like to use that word, but I, I agree. No, you, you need um, opportunity. You need the preparation. You need things to fall in your direction. It's, it's just what it is. I mean, who knew? Who knew? SC was going to be what it was going to be three years prior to Matt Liner even being there. Nobody knew. Pete Carroll wasn't there. They were five and seven, six and six, whatever they were. Nobody knew. Things have to break your way. They do. I didn't know Jim Moore was going to be there at UCLA um, once Dayton um, ended up going into his uh, later years. That was important because the culture changed, the mentality changed, the accountability changed. That helped. You need things to break your way. So kind of a funny story. This is a true story, Keith. And I'm, I don't know if you heard this one or not, but Matt Leiter uh, was competing with Matt Castle in the spring. And... Matt Castle actually beat him out, but they felt that of the two, Matt Leinart would be more likely to transfer. So they actually named Matt Leinart the guy going into the fall just to keep him from leaving, thinking that Matt Castle was going to end up winning the job, and Matt Leinart got the job and never looked back. 
I, I do remember. But originally, I, it was Matt Castle yeah. who actually beat him out in the spring. Okay, so I, I didn't know that. But I do remember the first game Matt Liner started at Auburn, there were a ton of questions about him. There were a zillion questions about Matt Leinart. Um, and he was not solidified yet as the as the starter. They might have named him the starter. He might have done well in fall camp, but he was not by any stretch of the imagination a solidified guy at the position. And there was always talk about Matt Castle. So that probably goes right in line with what you're saying, which is interesting because if I'm Matt Castle, we got a problem. <laughs> Well, you know, he ended up still playing. In fact, USC used that a ton. Hey, we got this guy who was a backup. He still got drafted and played in the NFL yep. for a, a bunch of years. But, no, I mean, who knows how much how history would be different if it was Matt Castle running the show. And, shoot, maybe they still would have had success. Maybe not. But, uh, yeah, again, like you said, that's is that luck? I would say that's definitely some favorable. Come luck. on, man. Come on. Yeah. 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 No question about it. So th- thanks a lot, GB. This was fun, man. We'll have to do this again at other positions. Um, I know the quarterback position is so high profiled. I saw DJ's got over a, a million views on his video. Uh, it was a great video, by the way, Greg. Oh, very cool. Very well done. And, and again, it, it kind of it kind of showed DJ for who he was. Just a real humble kid. Mm-hmm. Great video, by the way. Really like. Really enjoyed it. Um, and so congratulations again to that group. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Transparent Truth. Please tell me somebody that does it like Coach Keith and GB. I just don't see them. I haven't heard them. It just doesn't happen. Greg Biggins, it's Keith being Keith. There's a new sheriff in town. You thought I was playing Greg Biggins when we started this show three and a half years ago. There's really a new sheriff in town. And his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. 